Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Steve Asawa continues our series of messages on the Gospel according to Mark, today looking at Mark chapter 13. And now, here's Steve. Thank you, Jerry and Sharon, for just pointing us back to the one who gave his life for us. Indeed, great is the Lord. This morning, we'll be looking at what's sometimes referred to as the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is on the Mount of Olives with four of his disciples. Just as the Old Testament prophets foretold the major events that would occur because the nation repeatedly turned away from God, here the Messiah, the Anointed One, has come to earth and has warned his disciples about what would happen in the future. After he is crucified, died, and raised from the dead for the sin of mankind. He also tells them that he will return. Scholars disagree on what this passage is really about. Some think it's about end times. Some think it's, think it's about destruction of the temple. And some think it's a bit of both. I think I'm in the latter camp. The debate also focuses on whether Jesus' words were fulfilled or not when the temple was destroyed. I'd go out on a limb and say we have a fair understanding of things that happened relatively soon after Jesus spoke these words. Some of the things that scholars have learned about this time period come from a Jewish historian by the name of Flavius Josephus. You can read about some of his books in this. Then we have the study of end times, or eschatology, as it's, and it's probably the most debated topic in the Bible. Many committed Christian scholars have studied the subject for years and can't agree on how things will play out in the future. Now, I certainly can't claim to be an expert on this by any stretch. I spent a fair bit of time, way more than I expected, looking at some, re-looking and looking at some of the different perspectives. And I think I ended up pretty much where I started off. Now, regardless of what one's perspective or interpretation is on some of these passages, I would note a few key points that hold no matter what. One, Jesus is the Son of God. Two, he was crucified and died for the sin of the world, and he rose from the dead. He is Lord. Amen. Three, he will return one day. And four, we should live with that in mind. We need to stay alert. We could spend many hours, many days on this chapter, but since we've invited everyone to a barbecue lunch, time might be limited. Uh, Joe, I think we're starting to plan eating at 1 o'clock, was it? Wrong? Okay. Oh. Well, I think uh, we'll be flying low this morning. And hopefully it'll be a bit of a teaser to make you want to dig a bit deeper. It's been said that he holds a pen has the last word, but around here, he who runs the soundboard gets to cut the speaker off if he gets carried away. But before we get into it, let's open with a word of prayer. 
Heavenly Father, we just pause and we just marvel at the God who created the heavens and the earth, created ones like us, and loved us so much that he sent his Son. Thank you, Father, for your salvation. Thank you for your word. And we thank you for your spirit. I just pray, Lord, that you would guide my words this morning. Open our hearts and minds to what you would have us learn and apply. And may you be honored in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. By way of context, Jesus had recently entered Jerusalem and went to the temple and looked around. He was disgusted with what he saw and overturned the tables of the money changers Stop people from using it as a shortcut. And he began to teach and say to them, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. He noted the hypocrisy of the spiritual leaders who realized they were wicked tents in the parable of the vine growers. He put them in their place when they tried to trick him and told them to render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and render unto God that which is God's. He taught unlike anyone before him, and he clarified a misconception about the resurrection. And he told his, his disciples about the greatest command, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, I don't know how to do soul, so soul, all your, and all your, and the second command, greatest command, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he also noted how in contrast to all the wealthy people, a destitute put widow put all that she had into the offering. The New American Standard Version has this chapter divided into two sections. Things to come and the return of Christ. As we read the first part of it, try to note the things that Jesus warns his disciples about. As he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, look, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, You see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew were questioning him privately. Tell us, when will all these things come about? And what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? And Jesus began to say to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will mislead many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will also be famines. These things are only the beginning of birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will hand you over to the courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. And when they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, 
But say what is it, whatever is given to you at the time. For you are not the one speaking, but it is the Holy Spirit. And brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by everyone because of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Now when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down, nor go in to get anything out of his house. And whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those women who are pregnant, and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Moreover, pray that it won't happen in winter. For those days will be such a time of tribulation as has not occurred since the beginning of the creation which God created until now and never will again. And if the Lord had not shortened those days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. False Christ and false prophets will arise and will provide signs and wonders in order to mislead, if possible, the elect. But beware, I have told you everything in advance. So the first temple was built by King Solomon. The first temple was built by King Solomon, and it was destroyed when the Israelites were taken captive by the Babylonians. King Cyrus allowed people to return from their exile to rebuild his temple under the leadership of Zerubbabel. And you can read about that in Ezra and Nehemiah. King Herod renovated the temple over a period of about 90 years. He started around 20 to 19 BC and most of the work was completed about 10 years. The finishing touches, however, weren't completed for about another 60 years or so. So most of it was done at the time of Jesus' ministry. And it was big. It was something to behold. People throughout the entire region knew about it. It said that he who has not seen the temple of Herod has never seen a beautiful building. And that's from Babylonian Talmud. So our passage begins with the disciples being amazed at the building. The picture on your left, yeah, okay, that, that is left for you, is a sign talking about the stone foundation under the western wall of the Temple Mount. And the one on the right shows a few of the stones above ground. And I think we estimated that this one here, the, the, the one you see just over people, was about 17 meters across. And apparently it weighed in around 570 tons. So, pretty substantial. However, here's where we get to our first warning. It's not really obvious, is it? But I'd suggest that the first message is that we aren't to be impressed by worldly stuff or worldly things. The temple was higher than that of the goddess Artemis, which was considered to be one of the wonders of the ancient world. Stones were white, parts were covered in gold, gates of brass, 
And yet, Jesus prophesied that it would all be torn down. It wasn't going to last. Can you imagine the shock? You can't be serious, right, Jesus? You're pulling my leg. This is the temple we're talking about. It's going to get torn down? Now, it was common for a teacher in those days to give his closest followers more information. So once they've gone across and they're over on the Mount of Olives, Jesus explains things in detail to Peter, James, John, and Andrew. And elsewhere in the Bible, we normally see that he went with Peter, James, and John, but for some reason, whatever the reason it is, Andrew was with him this time. Jesus warns, or he instructs them about four things that they're to do and why. It's been said that ignorance is bliss. And I wonder if the disciples were sorry that they asked for what they asked for once they heard the answer. See to it that no one misleads you. Oh, because many are going to come Fool you to pull you away from me. Do not be alarmed. These things must take place. But that's not the end. Be on your guard. You're going to get handed over to the courts. They're going to flog you. However, do not worry about what you're going to say. You're not the ones who are going to be speaking. It'll be the Holy Spirit. So life is going to get really challenging for them. And Jesus notes that these are only the beginnings of birth pains. Deception, earthquakes, famine are just the beginning. Their Their livelihoods to follow Jesus. They're probably wondering what they got themselves into. The thought of being dragged into court must have been a disturbing one let alone standing before governors and kings. The saving grace, so to speak, is that the Holy Spirit would give them the word. If flogging was done the way it was done later on, then it meant that they would receive 26 lashes across the back. And then they're going to get turned around and get 13 on the front. And that was just to make sure that they stuck at 39 because 40 was the limit allowed. You didn't want to exceed that maximum limit. All this for Jesus' sake. All this for the sake of the gospel. As an aside, you can read about these things happening to the disciples in the book of Acts. Jesus says that things get so bad that family members will turn on each other. And that was a serious no-no in that culture. Could it get any worse? And then to top it all off, Jesus tells his disciples they'll be hated by everyone because of his name. But, but's a good thing in this case, the one who has endured to the end will be saved. I think that endurance is a sign that someone truly is a follower of Jesus. We need to trust and hold on to him, not only in the good times, but in the challenging times. I wonder if they would have been singing the song had been penned in their day. I have decided to follow Jesus. The cross before me, the world behind me. So none go with me till I will follow.
No turning back. And I pray that all of us can apply these words to our lives. The appearance of the abomination of desolation was to serve as a warning. The warning was, flee to the mountains when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be. So who or what was the abomination of desolation? In Matthew's account, Jesus refers to the abomination of desolation which was spoken of through the prophet, through Daniel the prophet. In Daniel chapter 11, you see him foretelling of forces from the king of the south doing awful things. Forces from him will arise, desecrate the sanctuary, or, sorry, desecrate the sanctuary fortress, and do away with the regular sacrifice, and they will set up the abomination of desolation. In, 60, in 167, Antiochus Epiphanes caused an altar to be erected on the altar of burnt offering which sacrifices were offered to Jupiter Olympus. The supreme insult to the Jews was that a pig was sacrificed on the altar. While the war started in AD 66, the Romans overran Jerusalem and destroyed the temple in AD 70. It's interesting to note that Josephus tells us that Titus didn't want the soldiers to burn the temple, but burned it was. Writing on the sign by the stones, right kind of in the lower middle of your picture, says, Collapsed on the paved street are stones of the western wall of the Temple Mount enclosure. They were hurled down by the soldiers of the Roman legion after the destruction of the temple on the ninth day of the month Av, 70 CE. Now, some think the abomination of desolation might have been the Jewish zealots who were fighting amongst themselves before this time, around AD 66, that resulted in the desecration of the temple. The abomination of desolation may refer to the standards which the Romans had set up at the east gate of the temple, around AD 70, and to which they honored. Almost the entire religion of the Roman camp consisted in worshipping the ensign that was on these standards carried, swearing by it and preferring it above all other gods. The ensigns were an abomination to the Jews, abomination of desolation. Now, tradition holds that some people did flee to the mountains, the place called Pella, and they thereby saved from the destruction that took place. What were some of the other warnings or instructions? Not to go down. Don't go back to get anything out of the house. Don't stop to grab your cloak. Pray that it will not be in the winter. The days will be such a time of tribulation. It was critical that people moved quickly. No time to go from the rooftop of the house back down around into the house to get valuables. Even more so, there's no time to stop and get your cloak, to turn back and get it. And that was a pretty important thing in those days. Cloaks served as the covering to keep you warm during the day, but they also helped keep you warm at night. So 
they used his blanket many times. And travel over there in winter was harder. No ice roads or no high-powered sleds to make that escape easier. And he says, Do not believe if someone points to a false Christ. For many false Christs and prophets will arise. Beware. I have told you everything in advance. So Jesus warned them about falling for false Christs, false prophets. Many of these would come out of the woodwork and deceive people and draw them away from Jesus. In Acts 5, we have a somewhat similar issue when the apostles were brought before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership. And then a respected Pharisee named Gamaliel steps in and reminded them, For some time ago, Judas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee appeared in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He also perished, and all who, those who followed him were scattered. And then Gamaliel goes on to warn them, the other Pharisees, that they may be even found fighting against God. Just leave it be and see what God does. Continuing on in our passage. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds from the end of the earth to the end of the heaven. So people expected cosmic signs prior to really big events happening. Example, this is found in Isaiah 30, 13, 9 and 10. He prophesies against Babylon. And again, Isaiah 34 in the prophecy against the nations. Jesus draws from Daniel 7, 13 to 14, talking about the Son of Man. So we have cosmic events followed by the Son of Man coming in the clouds gathering His elect. And just as the Jewish people expected God to gather them together, so did the Christians. Paul speaks about this in 1 Thessalonians. As, For the Lord Himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we are, who are alive will remain. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Now learn from the parable of the fig tree. As soon as its branches become tender and sprouts its leaves, you will know that summer is near. So you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. 
Now in chapter 11, Jesus cursed the fig tree for not bearing fruit. It was an indication of things to come for the unfruitful nation of Israel. And here the fig tree is a sign that the end is coming. Watch out. Stay alert. We do not know when the appointed time is. It's like a man away on a journey who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning each one to his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay alert. Therefore stay alert. We do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning. And those were the, the four watches. So that he does not that he does not come suddenly and stay alert. Many people have tried to tie biblical prophecy to current and future events. This is going to happen at that time. None have been right. And some of these things have led to disastrous results for those who followed them. Even to the point of death in some cases. And I would suggest to you that none of this has helped the advancement of the gospel. Only God the Father knows when the appointed time is. Our job, our responsibility, is to stay alert so we'll be ready when that time comes. So let's just recap, and I'll ask Darren and Sharon to come back up as we do so. The Son of God, the Lord, was telling his disciples what was going to take place. Some of the things Jesus said would come about to pass were fulfilled with the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. Forty years after he was crucified, died, and raised from the dead. Other things, however, still to come. Prophecy can sometimes have two time frames, the more immediate aspect and the future aspect. When the disciples asked about the time and the signs of the temple be torn down, he gave them numerous warnings or instructions. He warned them about being wowed by things happening in the world, such as wars, earthquakes, famines, of the need not to be misled and be drawn away from himself, to not be alarmed, to be on the guard, not to worry, to flee when they saw the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be. It's pretty hard to describe just how brutal it was for those people of Jerusalem leading up to AD 70 and the destruction of the temple. It certainly was a time of tribulation. When I look at the things that Jesus warned his disciples about, I see the same things happening in our world today. No, I'm not going to make any predictions about what or when things will happen. It's all in God's sovereign hands, isn't it? The warnings and instructions Jesus provided are, however, still relevant for our lives today. Remember, the one who has endured to the end will be saved. Jesus made it clear that he will return one day. Most scholars, regardless of their different perspective on other aspects of end times, seem to agree on this. Only God the Father knows when. Jesus noted that there will be signs in the cosmos. Things will happen with the sun, the moon, the stars, and the heavens. 
Just as people knew summer comes when the branches become tender and leaves bud on the fig tree. So these signs will foretell the Son of Man coming on the clouds to gather his people together. So, we need to be prepared for these things. As Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Spend time reading, studying, absorbed in His Word. Only God the Father knows the full plan. It's critical, therefore, that each of us do what Jesus said three times. Stay alert. I'm just going to close with a couple of the last verses from the Bible, from Revelation 22. Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with us all. Amen. Heavenly Father, just again, thank you for your word, for your spirit. Thank you, Father, for your plan of salvation. I pray, Father, that Nobody would leave here without knowing who Jesus is and Him being Lord and Savior and King of their lives for all of us, Lord. Thank you for this day and just pray that we'd be in your word, staying close to you in prayer and just drawing closer as we go through this week that you would get the honor and the blessing and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.